Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Palazzo Girls Show. We will be here until 5 o'clock, uh, like every other Saturday. I hope everyone's enjoying their, um, their weekend, of course. Uh, today, we have a full show lined up for you. Uh, as many of you know, the goal of our show is to educate the community um, on specific topics through interviews with professionals. And uh, for today's show, I would like to welcome former Massachusetts Senate President and uh, University of Massachusetts President, Mr. William Bolger. Uh, Mr. Uh, President Bolger, thank you for uh, joining us today. Well, thank you for the, your invitation. I would also like to extend uh, gratitude to uh, Suffolk uh, history professor uh, Robert Allison uh, for his assistance in making this interview uh, possible. So, um, Mr. Professor Allison, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I figured we would talk a little bit about, of course, uh, your time um, as a uh, Massachusetts politician, uh, some Boston politics, and then uh, we'll discuss uh, James Michael Curley, who is um, a politician <laughs> that I have great interest uh, sure. in, in, in learning about and um, having read uh, your books along with mm -hmm. um, I'd Do It Again, his uh, it auto, again. autobiography yeah. as well. Um, so to begin, let's, because uh, we have, uh, I want to make sure we cover everything that I wrote down and hopefully of I, think, course. I think we will. Um, so how did, let's take it back from the very beginning. Um, grew up in South Boston. I did. And uh, I was always interested in uh, politics. It was uh, sort of an excitement. Other people might have been more interested in the sports that was going on at the moment. And I did it like that too, the Red Sox and whatever, the Braves at that time. And it was enjoyable, but uh, politics uh, I always uh, found very, very interesting. And I was uh, frankly discouraged by my father, who would say, "Politics, it's you don't, it, it's just not worth it," you know. And when I thought about running, he said, "Oh no, you're just everyone's errand boy." <laughs> I still remember. He just, he just, so he sought to discourage me from. Of being a candidate when I decided to do so, but I, but I, Churchill said politics is more exhilarating than war. In war, you can be killed only once, and in politics, you can be killed frequently. And I'm I'm, I'm adding that, and I, I, I don't know. It is exciting, it's meaningful, and I really believe that there are very many uh, laudable good people who enter it. They don't, they don't all come through unscathed because it's a very, very uh, lively sport. Sure. It but it's nevertheless, it's worthwhile. And it's the public uh, trust, the public good that you seek to serve. And I am always grateful that I was able to enter uh, politics and what the help of my constituents uh, remained for many, many seasons in the game. Absolutely. Uh, when you were uh, starting off, were there um, any mentors or influencers that, that you had well, in your I, life? I, I think as, as a young fellow, I would watch, uh, I, I used to like James Michael Curley, and uh, he, Curley was a very controversial uh, person. He served as mayor of the city of Boston four times. And he was uh, uh, almost despised by the media. He was, uh, and I, of course, attributed that to the fact that he was his own man 
and was not beholden to them. On the other hand, they probably had many good reasons, and if they were here now, they could explain that to me. But they were um, uh, were pretty hostile to uh, Curly. But I thought Curly had uh, oh, a uh, mind of his own, had a certain independence, and I thought he was brave to stand up to the press at that time. And uh, so... He he was he was and I can still again remember having people seek to discourage me from that at Boston College High School and Boston College people who would be in total disagreement and very often by the way I was talking to classmates uh, in both places who might have been from the suburbs you know especially at college and they would have uh, no great uh, love for people that I found fascinating. Sure. And um, your first election, was there, um, like, what did uh, the city of Boston look like? Were there specific issues that made you want to run? Or oh, Well, it was in 1960, and it was because there was a vacant uh, seat in the House of Representatives. There were two seats in my district, and so there was one of them, which one of those seats was vacant, there were 16 people running. Wow. For, yeah, and it was 1960. And oh, I was everywhere. And by the way, I always wore the same suit because it was the only suit I had. And uh, some of the older fellows who were campaigning for uh, Joe Moakley, who was uh, uh, sta- running for the state senate, became a congressman and was a very good friend of mine. But uh, <laughs> his people were always same suit, bulger. And uh, at that, in that fight, uh, Joe Moakley lost to John Powers, and I was at his headquarters that night. I had won, and I told his people, I, should you call me same suit? <laughs> That's why I won. They know who I was. People who change their suits all the time, they can't remember whether that's the same fellow. <laughs> and I've given them a lecture about and uh, And I think uh, that gave me... Uh, a moment when I kind of appreciated the fact that uh, there should be some humor in the political realm. Sure. Uh, did the, when So when you're elected and uh, your first uh, term, what were some of the issues that you wanted to work on? Or what was important to you once you, got, once you were elected? Well, well there was one uh, issue I came alive with because there was no competition on it. It was uh, I sought to uh, require the reporting uh, to a state agency of suspected uh, physical abuse of children on the theory that the child can't speak for himself, and that was for young children, and uh, so that if a doctor or some overseer um, thought that the child was suffering some sort of abuse, maybe at the hands of a parent, a guardian, or a neighbor, I don't know, they should be reporting it so that they don't keep it to themselves. And that would be uh, uh, presumably protective of the child who obviously he's young and he can't speak for himself. And uh, I remember having terrific battles. And also, in in order to encourage people to do so, I was conferring uh, immunity upon them. If they made a mistake, they could not be sued they were, what they were doing was 
something in good faith, presumably, and they uh, therefore, even if they were in error, they should they should not be sued because they uh, were. We want to encourage them to uh, speak up for the person who can't speak up for himself. Sure. Um, a question that I'm always fascinated by asking uh, uh, politicians who are elected. Uh, what was your biggest surprise? Was there something about the system that you're like, I can't believe this is how th- this actually happens, or, yeah. or vice versa? It's a good question. I I, I think uh, I think when when you, when you come come to it, I think you're surprised at the amount of cynicism that is involved. Even friends would be, hey, they're all up to something, <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's. But if you're there, and I think I'm just, I don't know why, coming down here from Boston to uh, Taunton, John Park was a senator from there. and He was a Republican senator, and he was my, uh, he and I would uh, debate frequently. Such a good man, John Parker. He's gone a long time now, but uh, a very good person. And uh, David Locke was a Republican from Wellesley. I'm just saying these were sort of adversaries in the not 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 they just had a different point of view on sure. matters but uh I, I just came to respect them and and really i I think you come away with a a better feeling about it of course we're all imperfect everybody I can hear the clergyman, you know, tainted by original sin. Sure. <laughs> used to have one. Used to be tainted by original but, but we're, we are imperfect, and, uh, and you see the imperfections in others, rarely in oneself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there uh, you have it. And, uh, but, but generally speaking, I, I, I say it was more uplifting and I came to appreciate uh, people. Even I remember somebody who, uh, gosh, he was a problem. I, I won't identify him, but it was, he served with me. And he, uh, very good-hearted fellow, but he had a bad drinking problem. And he'd go across to the, uh, the, the Golden Dome was the pub nearby. It's gone now. But, boy, he'd come back and he'd be an orator and tough to deal with. And uh, but I and I can remember people being so perturbed by him, but you know, knowing him, knowing this weakness, and uh, sort of recognizing whatever good qualities he had too. You don't see him just for this, um, I don't know, very conspicuous uh, fault. Uh, I, I don't know. I come. I, I think I always came away with a a more optimistic and uh, a better. Uh, and yeah, better sense of what it was all about. Absolutely doesn't mean that they were <laughs> we. I should say uh, flawless. We're not, but but the fact is, you you do come away with a I don't know a recognition that they come along with very good purposes. Sure. Alrighty, folks, we are in studio with uh, former Senate President uh, William Bolger. <laughs> uh, we will uh, we're going to take a, qu- a short break, then we'll come back discuss more of his time in the legislature. Uh, Boston and Massachusetts politics, and then, of course, uh, we will discuss um, 
the life and career uh, of James Michael Curley. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back to the Paul Sargero Show. We will be here until 5 o'clock this afternoon, of course. Uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, former Senate President uh, William Bolger is with us. Uh, we started to talk a little bit about his... Uh, uh, kind of the beginning, uh, the beginnings of uh, his time in office in the legislature. Um, one thing I was curious about, and uh, I'm sure you probably served on many, but when you were elected, what specific co- uh, committees were you involved in, or did? Well, when I went to the House of Representatives, I was on a local affairs committee, and ultimately on the judiciary committee. I had gone to Boston College High, Boston College, and BC Law School. And my father used to say, if I sent a chimpanzee to school all the years you've been going to school, I could make a lawyer out of him. (laughs) (laughs) He was not impressed by my long, uh, you know, academic career. But I I enjoyed the the studies, as I say, at Boston College and then law school. Father Drynan who became a congressman. He was the dean of the Boston College Law School when I was there, a very good man. (coughs) And uh, he, as I say, became a congressman. He was a far-left congressman and uh, a very good man. But I I must say that uh, it was an enjoyable time of life. Absolutely. um, So (coughs) as from the being first elected um, and then kind of present day, do you see any major changes in uh, the political realm of things from the first time you were elected till today? Has a lot changed? Um, no, I'm not sure. There, there are probably many changes that are not as evident to me as they should be, but I, I, would, I would say it's, uh, it's, it's still comprised. There's just human beings with all of our human limit limitations, but with lots of good intentions on the part of many folks, you know, and I, I, I don't know, they deserve encouragement, <laughs> I think. And, uh, and, and again, we're, um, I'm, I'm going to go back to my theological roots or something, but uh, we're not, we're, all, we're imperfect. Sure. And uh, so, but con- considering that, I, I think the people who are attracted to it, I think they come with a pretty darn good spirit. And they try very hard to uh, honor their commitment, which is to give the very best that they have to the task. Absolutely. Um, another thing that I was curious about is when you look back on your career uh, in the public uh, uh, public office, sure. is there a specific event or maybe piece of legislation that, that you're most proud of? Or uh, Well, I think I liked being uh, president of the Senate, and I thought that by being there and encouraging uh, people to participate and 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 uh, and that is to say, not being too, I hope, autocratic. I think I was accused of being autocratic and too uh, dominant, or whatever. But I, I don't think it's quite so. I probably gave that an air maybe I wouldn't doubt that but but uh, I, I try to be very respectful of the members as I would want them to be respectful of my rights and um, I'll tell you generally speaking it, it's a it's an uplifting thing people come with very very good intentions even those who falter 
and some do, sad to say, some do in serious fa in ways, but uh, but for the most part they come with the best uh, of intentions. But you have to consider that we as human beings all have different experiences, we have different beliefs, different understandings, and so there's going to be uh, that forum, the Senate or the House of Representatives or wherever it is, that forum is going to be a very testy place and there'll be a great deal of, uh, of give and take and battle. It's going to happen. It's, it's actually it's crafted by the uh, forebears to do exactly that. It's a place where people are encouraged and they do and express their points of view and uh, they fight for their points of view, right or wrong, they believe in it, and they do, as I think they should do, stand up and express their uh, points of view. Yeah, I think that's kind of some where some of the best discussion happens. You know, I look back uh, my time in college and where all, all, of, all the students all came from different backgrounds and sure. life experiences. So the minute, like, I remember a history class, the min, you know, the minute immigration came up, sure. you saw, you know, um, students who, uh, like, so my family came from the, uh, from the Azores, from Portugal. Sure. And so um, they would have, uh, so my siblings and myself were the first ones born here, but I could see, you know, other students who were on the same kind of situation yeah. I was. We felt a certain way about immigration and those that didn't. Oh, absolutely. So it was really, some of the best conversation came from there, as long as it's nice and civil, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, did Senator Mary Fonseca, it was her origin back there in the same place? I don't know. She was a senator from down this way, Mary. She's a wonderful person. I'm not. A, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. But um, the name Fonseca. I'm not sure myself. Yeah, it, it could be Fonseca. Yeah, she was. Could she be, was yeah. a great uh, member of the Senate. As was there were there were all sorts of people there. If I I can tell you they were they were great. I mentioned David Locke from Wellesley. He was a very strong um, advocate for his point of view, and. Um, he and and John Parker from the minority leader from Taunton, but and his um, wife was May Parker. She I can remember her bringing lunch to him, and uh, and I said, well, "John, you are a big sissy. Your <laughs> wife is bringing lunch and something like that." And she piped right up. She, He's everything that I have. <laughs> she put me right in my place, you know. And uh, Mary, Mary was wonderful. And uh, they, but you know, I, I think I think the, I think the idea of uh, a body where people get to know each other, they can have huge differences, but they're uh, whatever it is. There's a they they do have a underlying respect for each other. Really, it works that way. And that's and that is excellent. That means that no matter what the advocate is uh, advocating, mm -hmm. you say, "Well, this comes from a, a good place, and I am going to be very, very mindful of uh, of his good intention." Yeah. Even um, even <laughs> as I look at districts, you know, like. Um, so our congressional district, uh, uh, Congressman uh, Kennedy III, sure. we look at how Fall River <coughs> varies from, you know, say Rehoboth, Massachusetts. Sure. Even our district is so diverse as well. Sure. 
Um, so that's something I always think about too, you know, in terms of advocating for your district, it's like tons of people are going to feel all different ways about specific issues too, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. We, we had thorny issues at that time too. In the sixties, there would be the busing issue. And it could set you against folks that, for whom you had great respect and gee, you know, and David and Nelson was a colleague of mine and a wonderful person. He went to Boston College Law School with me, and he was he was great. And he used to be on the uh, uh, speaking tour of the Holy Name Societies, <laughs> and uh, I, and he, uh, black senator, and I remember him bringing him over to St. Monica's Church in South Boston, and uh, he uh, was up giving his speech, and I can't remember any longer what it was that he I took issue with. And uh, later, when I said to him, I think that I, was, I was too tough on you, do you think, no, no, he's, that's perfect, he says that. I will always remember him. And he, and he clasped my shoulders, and he said, no, that was great. It gave me a chance, he says, to, you know, sound off and all of that sort of thing with that little audience there at the Holy Name Society at St. Monica's Church in South Boston. And I think my point is that... Um, to, to an outsider, viewing some of this, uh, oh, you know, give and take, they they might think that there's something very, uh, oh, bad feeling at the root of it, but not the case. Most of the time, people are just standing up for their point of view. And it's going to be, obviously, at odds with them. Uh, others yeah there is a um, uh, here in Attleboro uh, a good friend of mine a mentor is he was a former city councilor here uh, John Davis and we always talk about politics and he was involved <laughs> for like the past 25 years uh, but he always he told me he goes he goes Paul you could agree with someone 90% of the issues <laughs> yeah. but he goes the 10% is what, what the guys focus on all the time sure, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, those conversations are kind of uh, bound to happen uh, folks, we are in studio uh, with former uh, Senate President uh, William Bolger. Uh, we discussed a bit of his uh, life, uh, career, and politics. Uh, we're going to continue on uh, discussing uh, the life and career of James Michael Curley, uh, and then, of course, Boston politics, and then um, we'll start to wrap the show up afterwards. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back to the Paul Sargero Show. <laughs> Again, we will be here until... Five o'clock. Uh, today's guest is former Senate President uh, William Bolger. We're discussing um, <coughs> his life and career in politics and public office. And then we will uh, we'll move on to discussing uh, James Michael Curley, and then of course uh, Boston politics. So I I had an interest in James Michael Curley from uh, your book as well. Sure. Um, I, I've even brought it in here. Oh, uh, of course, the, a short biography with personal reminiscence. Oh yeah. By uh, William Bolger, of course, oh, yeah. which is some great stories in here. Yep. And uh, so I always found an interest in him. I Just in general, um, individuals who kind of have that Robin Hood or villain oh, yes. type of, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, like James Hoffa, I feel like almost has that as well, <laughs> right? Sure. So uh, I always found that interesting, just that concept. So uh, I think that's probably what drew me to uh, James Michael Curley, which I think he's more... I'm more of thinking he's a hero, but people might think sure. a little bit different. But at anyway, um, so I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about. Uh, let's transition to James Michael Curley. Sure. Uh, how did you first learn about who James Michael Curley was? It was very early in my life. I was interested in politics, and Curley was still active 
in politics. And I can remember um, going to a um, his headquarters, and it was at the Hotel Brunswick. It's long gone. The Hotel Brunswick was near Copley Square, and it was, I think, 1955. Curly was now pretty old, and he was back, and he was running for mayor. When I was there at that headquarters that night, I went there on my own, and the polls had closed, the returns came in, and he was second. And the two top candidates, first and second, would run against each other in November. It was pretty clear that he was a very poor second to John B. Hines, who I think was the mayor at that moment. And he, Curly, uh, came into the room. They set up the microphones, and I still remember him. He had a wonderful speaking ability. And he said, like John Paul Jones on the deck of the burning Bonhomme Richard, surrender, we've just begun to fight. And he went on and he had the crowd all all aroused. I thought it was just great to see them. They, they were kind of down at the outset because he was so far and behind John Hines. But he was he was he picked up their spirits. I think they were ready to march on City Hall. <laughs> it was it was something. But uh, and again, it, it, I knew I recognized it was coming close to his last hurrah. It was really, but he was uh, a legendary figure in Boston. He had served, as you probably know, as mayor of Boston four times, and in the thirties he was the governor of Massachusetts. It was a two-year term then. And actually, he would have been mayor more often, except the Republican legislature put a statute through that disallowed the mayor of Boston from uh, succeeding himself. So if he were elected, he'd have to go out and come back and try to be. And he did. He did that four times, 16 years. But it was over a period of about 32 years because sure. of the uh, requirement. But he, I, I think it was an unfair requirement, but that's what the Republican legislature did. So, And, and uh, I still remember my good father saying, you know, I think he voted for Curley, but he would say, well, you know, he, just, he didn't like to see me get so enthusiastic about it all. But, uh, but I, I, I just thought he was very, very uh, a, a, an attractive and sort of a brave person and not looking for everyone's uh, approval. And uh, I, I can remember him speaking out at Boston College. I forced my way in to hear him, and some of the students were giving him a very hard time, but he stood up to it, and he was, I thought, kindly and generous to them, too. But uh, so it was, I'm talking to perhaps too much about it, but I, 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 it was a part of my life. I really enjoyed the political world, James Farley, behind the ballots, and uh, Ed Flynn of the Bronx, you're the boss. But all, all of it, it was, it was, it was good. And it was, uh, and as they say, my family started to discourage me. Oh, you know, politics. But I thought it was, I thought it was wonderful. And uh, 
I couldn't wait to get at it. Yeah. And of course, I did in 1960. Forgive me for this long. No, please. But uh, uh, I ran for the House of Representatives and was elected. About 16 candidates. And then uh, I was elected in 60, 62, 64, 66, 68. And then in 1970 to the Massachusetts Senate where I stayed for about 25 years. It was... Uh, and I think one of my slogans that I had the nerve to have as an early slogan, give a young man a chance. <laughs> and here I was. And, uh, but I will say this, though. People uh, were possessed of a pretty good sense of humor. And I could even go on the attack against myself and say, you know, I did say give a young man a chance, but now there is no substitute for experience. <laughs> it's the same sort of thing. And people, you know, they would get a kick out of that. Yeah. Uh, what, what I found interesting about uh, James Michael Curley and kind of um, the old school politicians, if you will, it's trying to find someone job, trying to find someone a job sure. and how that was such an interest for him. Uh, you know, uh, th there was just that now we, you know, don't get me wrong. Now we hear a lot about the the different, all these different types of issues, but when sure. it really came down to it, to me, one of the most important things is a job, right? Right. I love, I love that. What you're alluding to, I think, is the fact that there was a personal uh, interest, and people, and he, he would meet people all day, you know, and there were lines of people outside of his house, waiting to talk to him early in the morning, into the evening, his house on the Jamaica Way out in Jamaica Plain, and uh, they were always there, always. I mean, he, they looked to him with great hope. I, they can't all, positively, they cannot possibly all be uh, given whatever it is they're seeking. Sure. But I think he, he had a kindliness about him. And I do remember uh, people who worked at the State House telling me that when he would go out under the arch at the State House, you know, the arch, to get into his automobile, people would just uh, suddenly... Uh, come into being out there to ask him if he could spare a dollar or something and invariably he would tell the police leave them alone and and uh, so I'm sure he did it partially showmanship but I think also I may be wrong but I really believe that he had a pretty uh, decent uh, core to him Absolutely. Um, we, we often hear, um, again, this is, we often hear about him being a controversial individual. Can you speak a little yeah. bit about uh, why he's considered so controversial? But you have to remember that as a young fellow, he went and took a civil service exam for someone. And as a result, I think he went, I'm not sure whether he went to jail or whatever, but he was convicted of anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was always tainted with that right from the start and so uh, and again I think he's a person not of great means and uh, I don't know he, he I, I'm not sure how careful uh, reckless or what I'm not sure of it but uh, but I he also and, and I think this is to his credit he had some kind of an ability to stand up to the media the press and uh, I always liked that quality in anyone 
because I thought that the press should not be deciding who is to be elected. They might seek to influence, but they should not be the decisive factor in my view. And so anyone who was uh, looked on with disfavor by the press had a certain uh, attraction for someone like myself, was probably uh, a little bit of a contrarian, but I, I liked that fact. And uh, I thought that people who sought to curry the favor of the press all of the time gave up a great deal of their independence. When you go uh, seeking that uh, office, you've uh, sought to give the impression that you're going to be a person of independent judgment, and you'll call the shots as you see them. You'll be like an umpire. But instead, uh, going over to talk to the media people, the, the Globe or the Herald at that time, I thought that was uh, not a good thing. Sure. How, how, how different do you think um, Curley's career would have been, say, if he was around, um, say this was his prime right now with the media, how large mm -hmm. or how uh, the audience you can reach with the media. Do you think his career would be a little bit different? Oh, I think so. I, I, also, I also think he uh, would have avoided some of the difficulties of his life. He's a person of very modest means. He came from Rock, he lived in Roxbury and ultimately moved over to, to Jamaica Plain on the Jamaica Way. But he, uh, I don't think he, uh, you, you have a very good question. I'm not sure I, how to uh, describe what I think would happen, but uh, he had a lot to recommend him. And I think also he had an independence of spirit, which really would work to the consternation of the media people. They very often, are you in the media? But <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to get it right now. <laughs> but they, they, they very often, they, they think they know better. And they're going to tell you. And if you're not willing to obey, then you're going to be punished. Yeah. That is not all. But there's some reckless um, folks in the fourth estate who will behave just that way. It, not all, obviously. I'm lumping an awful lot of people together. But the, this, And so I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's almost a betrayal of your uh, I don't know, your best principles if you just seek to be beholden to these opinion makers. Yeah, I, I think um, I see tons of this uh, with different friends of mine or when I was in college where everyone only got their information from this mainstream media. Oh, sure. And I was like, guys, just look up the candidate yourself. Sure. Develop your own opinion. Don't rely on the media to tell you how to vote or what to right. think. You know, so Very that was, good. Yeah. That was, it was just like, you, you know, like, I would always say, like, where do you get your news from? And if a guy like, oh, I just watch Fox or, N <laughs> or NBC, I'm like, enough, <laughs> thanks. <Of course. laughs> but uh, and then the, the, those people who are uh, voicing their opinions in the media, they have a perfect right to do it. But you really should be able to, and I am just echoing what you're saying, 
form your own judgment. Absolutely. Uh, folks, we are in a studio with uh, former Senate President uh, William Bolger. Uh, we're discussing, uh, we discussed already uh, his time in the legislature. <coughs> we, will dis- we started to discuss uh, James Michael Curley. We're going to take a quick break, come back, we'll discuss a little bit more, a few stories, and then we will um, discuss some Massachusetts and Boston politics. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty, folks, welcome back again to the Paul Sargero Show. We'll be here until 5 o'clock uh, this afternoon. Uh, today's guest is former Senate President um, uh, President William Bolger. We started to talk about uh, James Michael Curley, um, what, kind of what made him such a controversial um, uh, individual. Uh, th- th- did you, during your time, did, were you able to meet uh, Curley at all? Oh, yes, I did. I had the... Uh, right pl- I, I've described... Uh, Meeting him at the Hotel Brunswick, 1955, he was a candidate. And uh, a couple of times thereafter. He was, uh, I'm not sure how much attention he was paying to a young fellow like myself, but I admired him, and I just loved the fact that he was, um, uh, he could incur the wrath of uh, so many of the critics in the media and stand up to them. And I thought that was, and again, I'm oversimplifying my point of view was that, uh, my point of view, which I'm probably oversimplifying though, favored someone who would come to his own conclusions, make up his own mind based on all the evidence and all that he could uh, find out for himself and not be beholden to the uh, powerful voices in the press. When you met him, were you able? Did you guys uh, have a conversation? Was it more like a handshake? Oh, or oh just a very short uh, conversation. I I regret that I didn't have more time and more opportunity. Sure. But he, it was just, it was a couple, on a couple, couple of occasions, it was a crowded circumstance. And he, he was aging by the time I was m- meeting him. You know, and I was in, I ran in 1960. And I'm sure by that time, Curly, I think he, he I think he's born before the, you know, the, the 20th century, I think. You know? Yeah, uh, he was 1874, I believe. Yeah. And uh, eventually passed away in 1958. That's I it. I think if it's yeah. if my research is correct. <laughs> you're, you're right. yeah, that's it. It's um, pretty good. Uh, do you have uh, a favorite uh, uh, anecdote of uh, James Michael Curley? A favorite story that maybe you've heard that he did something in his life, or well, uh, it's a very good question. I uh, I think I always uh, liked the fact that he had a certain. Um, courage, the ability to stand up for his honest point of view, and and very often um, he would be very favorable to some friends, some of whom were perhaps not the best people in the world, but, uh, but none of us is perfect. We're all tainted. By sure. original sin. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I, think he, I, think he, I think he was pretty kindly to folks who might have a tough time of it. And I do remember um, the, the pictures of the people, they just, uh, you know, come out of nowhere looking for a 
a touch from him and his kindly reaction to them. Now, it can be a, a show, no question, and it could be uh, for the sake of the, uh, you know, the audience. But I think, generally speaking, I think he had a very good um, um, and kindly point of view about people who were in tough circumstances. Well, he came from Roxbury himself, and I don't think he... And his son, uh, Francis X. Curley, was a, um, a Jesuit priest. I remember him, and George Curley was his son also. Mary Curley, his daughter. They were, they were really... Uh, he was he's a very good person. Gertrude Dennis Curley was his uh, second wife. He, Mary Curley had passed away, and he later got married to Gertrude Dennis and uh, he, he was, uh, uh, I think, a very good man, and, um, and all the better because he uh, antagonized the people who I thought deserved to be antagonized. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, <laughs> what, what amazed me about um, Curly, and I, I, don't, I don't know if anyone else has uh, done it, but the fact that he was an alderman, a counselor, uh, the governor, or a mayor—I mean, a congressman. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else has had such a career that's no, held so amazing, many positions. It's amazing. It's amazing, and he even—I um, think I made reference to the fact that he became a congressman. He's living in Jamaica Plain. puts his name on the ballot. It's over in Charlestown, and uh, and again, you could do that. And the people in Charlestown are very happy to uh, send him to Congress to give him a job. This is between stints as mayor. Mm -hmm. And the legislature had precluded him by statute from uh, succeeding himself as mayor. I think I mentioned that earlier, but it was really kind of unfair. I mean, if the people of Boston wanted to re-elect somebody, they ought to have been able to do it. But that was the Republican legislature imposing its view on us. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I saw those things as... Uh, uh, to his credit, he'd stand up to that, and uh, and uh, so are you are you are you you count yourself as part of the media? Uh, no, no, um, I I'm do this voluntarily, <laughs> and this is I'm only, I'm th only. this is just uh, <laughs> I'm no, only joking. No, I'm not, I, I understand. I'm, I, I you know can't <laughs> resist. You know. Sure, no, I think it's um, again the, the the amount of positions that he held and uh, how he was so. Uh, favorable, uh, it amazes me. I, I just, yeah. I've never seen another career um, to that extent, to that level. He used to quote a poet named John Boyle O'Reilly. O'Reilly was an Irish poet. He was shipped in chains to Australia. And with the aid of a Yankee uh, whaler from Massachusetts, he escaped from Australia and was brought back here, I think it was to New Bedford, and uh, came back. He then made his way to Boston and became editor of the Boston Pilot, John Boyle O'Reilly. And he was a poet. And Curly used to quote him all the time. And I did myself. No treason we bring from Erin, nor bring we shame nor guilt. The sword we hold may be broken, but we have not dropped the hilt. The wreath we bear to Columbia is twisted of thorns, not bays, and the songs we sing are saddened by thoughts of desolate days. But the hearts we bring for freedom 
are washed in a surge of tears, and we claim our right by a people's fight, outliving a thousand years. I will not inflict any more of that long poem. No, it was good. <laughs> the, the title of it is The Exile of the Gale, and it's John Boyle O'Reilly. It's a long poem, and uh, I can I have to tell you that um, when I didn't know what to say of issues, I'd start quoting John Boyle O'Reilly, and there'd be enough people, I think they're just my friends, you know, more... <laughs> and, uh, and so I and all, uh, another thing uh, talking too much perhaps about me but St. Patrick's Day uh, with, with people like Bill Weld mm-hmm. and others who was a very good governor and a good person but uh, I naturally typecast them you know Bill Weld a Yankee and all of that you know, <laughs> and uh, take advantage of the fact that he's very good natured about it and, uh, and uh, on, as I say, on that breakfast that we used to have on St. Patrick's Day, and well, this morning we're going to have Governor Weld for breakfast. <laughs> and he, but he Weld was always a very good sport about it all. But I think uh, I'll stop with this monologue. But uh, I think a sense of humor is very, very important. You Absolutely. Know? I, we're the only ones. I, am I repeating myself? But of God's creatures that can laugh, and we must never lose our ability to do so. And most of the time, we're laughing at ourselves. Sure. I think it was... uh I think it was Charlie Chaplin said, a day without laughter is a day wasted. I think very good point. So it's uh, that's something I, that always stuck with me. And, uh, yeah, I like that. You know, you have to... Uh, comedians always say you have to be able to make fun of yourself you know so a comedian uh i forgot who said it but they said uh they go every time i open i always make a joke about myself you know the the comedian i used to love is jackie gleason yeah yeah Yeah. from the honeymooners yeah (laughs) to the moon alice (laughs) yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) he was was so good and uh what's his name Uh, art carney i guess yeah Yeah. norton sure yeah yeah he worked in the sewer (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was great stuff good uh good shows uh one thing i wanted to um discuss with uh, in reference to in regards to uh, James Michael Curley was kind of the the FDR and <laughs> Curley um, relationship because uh, yeah. uh, essentially Curley was in support of FDR um, during when FDR was running but I the thing that interests me the most was kind of the Democratic Convention mm-hmm. uh, story with James Michael Curley when he was the um, from Puerto Rico from Puerto Rico yes could you tell us that uh, a well, little bit was, about he I don't know he was couldn't get onto the into the convention from Massachusetts for whatever reason, and so he suddenly appeared as a delegate from Puerto Rico, and there was James Miglio Curlio or something like that, and he was on the floor of the uh, a convention. He at that time was he supporting uh, FDR or what? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And he and so he came and uh, stated his favorite favorability to I think it was it was in 1932 I think is it I, I would have to double check but it, yeah. it sounds about sounds oh, about oh, right, right. I, but anyway he uh, but it was a very famous uh, event in his his life and of course it endeared him to the uh, local you know, folks because here he was in the convention where he was not supposed to be that sort of thing. James Farley, he was, Farley was the uh, 
campaign manager of uh, Roosevelt. He became the postmaster general of, Mass- of the United States. And uh, yeah, but he and then he I, he clearly was with Roosevelt, but then he Roosevelt uh, I disappointed Curly not coming through for him. Mm-hmm. I would imagine uh, Curly's uh, checkered uh, past would be a big handicap, you know, on a national scene. And so Roosevelt was perhaps uh, justified, but I'm not sure how many of the Curly Kratz would be uh, happy about it. Because essentially uh, Curly wanted... Uh, uh, was it the the Secretary of the Navy or or, or something along well, those lines? He wanted to be that. Yes, that's what yeah. he wanted to. Yes, and exactly then. right. You've got a good memory. <laughs> that's right. He wanted to be, and and he was disappointed because he Roosevelt would not appoint him as Secretary of the Navy. You're right. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, I just think that I think about thinking about the political realm and it's you know endorsing someone's a big thing that's a big movement sure. on that person's part sure and uh so i can ima- i see both sides of it but i can also see how i kind of think curly had the the idea of one hand washes another yeah you know and when roosevelt yeah, i think roosevelt again he has the bigot constituency what are they going to think in minnesota sure but uh he i would have preferred that he uh Honor his relationship of uh, helping, if in fact he clearly was helping him at his request. But I'm again, I I'm speculating. I don't know. Sure. So it doesn't make any difference. If I were candidate right now, I'd speak with greater uh, force. Sure. And tell you exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know the answer. It's so interesting because I tried looking up how. Curly was able to pull that off, becoming the delegate. Sure. I can't. I couldn't find anything yeah. <laughs> online. Well, like, did you read the the, the 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 purple shamrock? So that's the one that I have. I haven't. Um, yeah, that's read. a good book. It's yeah. Joe Deneen. Yep, it's a very good book. I remember reading that as a young fellow, you know. And I still remember my own father, who liked Curly and voted for Curly, but who would, you know, he's. He would just point out his imperfections, you know, and he, but um, but uh, it was, uh, he was he inspired me. Absolutely, folks. We are in studio with uh, former Senate President uh, William Bolger uh, discussing. We just finished our discussion on James Michael Curley. We'll move on to uh, Boston politics uh, after this uh, the break. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back again to the Paul Segura Show. Uh, today's guest is a former Senate President uh, William Bolger. Uh, we discussed the. Uh, uh, his career, life, and politics. Uh, we moved on to James Michael Curley. Uh, we discussed, uh, you know, a, a bit of uh, Curley's career, what made him so controversial, um, kind of favorite anecdotes, and then, of course, the FDR kind of Democratic uh, convention. Uh, one of my favorite uh, stories of Curley was, um, I think it was his first year in office. I feel like it's one of the most popular ones. But when he saw um, the... Um, well, you, you probably could tell it way better than I could with the, the mop handles and... Oh, the ladies. Yeah. Oh, in the state house, mopping the floors on their hands and knees. And Curly said, never should they be on their knees except to pray. 
and he, well, that was at City Hall. He was the mayor yeah, yeah. at this time, and he uh, insisted that they have these mops and the rest with the long handles so that they could stand and take care of their cleaning responsibilities. He <laughs> he made a rather large gesture of that. He, but he, he, he was very good at, at it, uh, coming out of the State House, and I, I think it, it seems almost shameful to be uh, showing how you're providing a, some kind of a handout to someone. But I have to say, and I'm being a critic, I guess, but he, he did such things. But he also knew that just a moment and performing for the camera. Not as much as uh, we do now, because the TV and the rest, it's a constant uh, show. But he, he, was, he was a showman, and that's not necessarily bad. Yeah, I, I, think, I think now we see more of that, um, this is going to sound cynical, but almost uh, certain politicians have like the two lives, like the TV life sure. and then kind of behind the scenes. Oh, sure. Uh, but I think in terms of Curly, I feel like his heart was in the right place because, I mean. I believe so. Y- you know, it's, one could say, yeah, sure, we, they, they were media outlets out there. But for the most part, I think, um, giving his upbringing and whatnot, I think he was, he was in the right place. So, Yeah, coming, as you say, upbringing, Roxbury, very poor. I still remember the signs when I was a youngster going to Boston College High School, which was located in the South End, near the, uh, uh, the, the church over there, the Macbeth Conception Church. But, and uh, the signs were uh, a fellow named Charlie Ionello, state representative, was seeking re-election. And the signs, political sign, Curly and Ionello will save the South End. <laughs> I used to love that sign, but uh, he and I later knew Charlie Anello because he was in the legislature when I arrived there. A nice old person, but uh, but as I say, the, the po- politics. Uh, again, I'm, it's Churchill, you know, more exhilarating than war. And war you can be killed only once, and the fact is, politics is exciting. And it is good, and it's, it's, it should be uh, a matter of uh, interest and uh, to everyone. Yeah, it's, for me, the, my interest in it is there's a position where you can contribute so much to a community and help so many sure. people. Um, I remember, like, interning at when I, I interned at the, the State House uh, for a summer, and just some of it's just helping people just find the right resources. It's true. For, you know, you know, oh, you need to speak to this agency or whatever. Sure. That's true. And um, it's amazing because a little thing like that to us, it's just like, you know, n- nothing important or, you know, it is important, but it's almost, it wasn't a huge hassle for us. We already know, but for them, it changes their entire. I remember there was a old fellow, his name was Franna Burke. And Franna, right, that was, uh, I thought he was a little grouchy. But he had worked for John Powers, who was ahead of me, and then, then he was out. And I, I picked him up and asked him if he wanted to come uh, to work f- for me. And so he, and he did. And I was so happy that I had done so. And I see him walking down the corridor with somebody, taking him down to the Secretary of State's office. 
you can't just put them into the corridor and say, take the second left and the third right, you know. Doing that kind of thing for somebody who's, you know, a stranger to this place, and also at least getting by the very first person, the secretary, and saying, no, he's coming from our district and we'd be able to help. And he had a wonderful aptitude for that sort of thing. I was so happy that he was there. And also because the younger people could see uh, how important it was for the person who comes there. He doesn't know that person doesn't know who he's going to see, whether there's somebody going to be grouchy with him, and they're trying to figure out whatever it is that they're trying to, whatever problem they're trying to solve. It's great to have folks like that. Absolutely. It's it's humbling, and it's, when you see, at least when I was interning there, and the minute I saw, you know, a specific politician do something like that, I was like, you know what? The public kind of has this perception or oh, sure. cynicism or whatever, but sometimes when you see that, it's like you know what? Not every oh no, I, not every politician has no, that no. view. That but a lot of uh, very good. I think I th- I would say I remember asking a, a representative. She was from Cambridge. I'll use her name now, but she's out of office. And she, Mary Newman, her name was, and I I can remember asking her, Mary, tell me this: Are we as a group, lesser or the same or above? What do you think, the rank and file? I really had a, because you're so disparaged and we do it to each other, you know? It, it, in the media, that's how they sell their product, right? You, you don't sell by saying, they're all great guys. Sure. <laughs> and uh, and she, I still recall her standing there and kind of thinking about it for a moment, and uh, she said, "No, I'd say I'd say better as a group than the rank and file." That was her opinion. It was just an opinion she's giving me, but I was sure. so happy to hear it because she was a thoughtful pr- person. Mary, Mary was a Quaker. <laughs> I used to say to her, "Dost thou think?" So? She'd say. <laughs> Quakers don't talk like that. <laughs> she know, she's admonishing me. You're not talking like a Quaker right now. <laughs> she, she, Mary Newman was a wonderful person. For me, when I was, um, and I, I think this is kind of across the board, I feel like uh, even with dealing with celebrities or something, sometimes people are so amazed because they're always in that spotlight. Sure. And for me, you know, someone always said, you know, would I ever get starstruck? I go, to be honest, I go, the minute I worked at the State House. That went away for me because sure. when I went there, I was like, they're just, you know, politicians are just people. Of course. That were elected. Yeah. And uh, it was like, I don't know if it's, uh, it was probably a bit of naive on me because um, I, I didn't make that realization when I started working there. But I was like, I go, they're just regular oh, people yeah. just like us just working. I, that's, that is true. I, I, I thought, and uh, I, I just, I'm repeating myself, but Mary, I said, are we a little worse? Are we the same? But she, she had a, a kind of optimistic view about yeah. it, which I was so happy for because she's kind of truthful and thoughtful person. Sure. Uh, folks, we are in studio with uh, former Senate um, President uh, William Bolger discussing, we discussed his, a little bit of his career, his bio, uh, James Michael Curley, and then we will move on to 
uh, Boston politics and kind of Massachusetts politics. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Paul Sargero Show. Uh, we were in studio with uh, former pre- uh, Senate President uh, William Bolger. We discussed uh, his career, James Michael Curley, and now kind of uh, o- kind of open discussion and uh, moving towards Massachusetts and Boston politics. Um, President Bolger, one thing that I was I always found um, fascinating or interesting was being an elected official. If if an issue were to be presented to you um, and say your district felt a certain way about it, but maybe you had it up and um, you felt the opposite way as your district did. Uh, you know, for example, you know, when gay marriage was kind of in the talks, mm-hmm. I could I can imagine some districts being uh, opposed to it, sure. whereas a politician may be in support of it. Sure. If if you, did you ever find yourself in that situation, or if you were, kind of how would you uh, deal it's a, with? It's 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 a perennial question, and our friend Edmund Burke in the 18th century said, "Your representative owes you not his industry only, but his judgment, and he betrays instead of serving you if he sacrifices it to your opinion." So. Burke, I think, was making very good sense, saying, you owe your best judgment to the people who elected you, and they may disagree with you. So I think the answer is that you really have to have the courage to exercise your best judgment, and you almost have to hope and pray that you can get through it, because there are going to be people who disagree with you. And in this hypothetical that you've offered, they all disagree but I think if you really have a strong uh, sense that this is the correct way to go, I think you have to follow it. And then, but, but yeah, here's another little thing, and maybe this is wishful thinking on my part. I think they, I think they allow for it. I think they have better judgment than we sometimes give them credit for. They say, you know, he, I think he's wrong on that, but he's arrived at it honestly. And I'll at least give him credit for that. We have a different point of view, he and I. But I think uh, I should be respectful of it. Absolutely, yeah. It was um, that was a question when I was in the state house. Every time I kind of <coughs> ran into someone, I was always curious. Oh yeah, because it, it, it's it's tough. Because I mean, sometimes uh, even when I was running, someone said, "If this was, if, you know, if this was in front of you, how would you vote?" I'm yeah. like, just gonna, <laughs> you're just going to lay that on me. Like, yeah. You know, there's so much. Because um, I always say that I'm for. Um, research-based policy, basically. Sure. So if there's research about it, it's, but uh, at any rate, that was uh, a question I always found uh, interesting. Uh, moving on to uh, kind of Boston politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what makes uh, kind of Boston politics or, or just Massachusetts politics in general so unique? Because <laughs> I feel like it's different f- in, in Florida. I feel like the political world there is a lot different from kind of mm-hmm. what we have up here. But in your opinion, what makes us so unique? Uh, well, I think part of it was w- there's a depth to it here. I think, you know, we have a, some traditions. People are mindful of who has gone before, whether it's David I. Walsh or whoever. And we have a history of all these people. And um, there's been a lot of enthusiasm in the political realm. In other places, they can be very sleepy about it indifferent and uh, it can be here a lively matter and uh, I'm not sure that that 
is an explanation for uh, a difference, but but I think that people uh, take it pretty seriously here. Is there uh, is there a, a part of uh, the political world that frustrates you? Like for me, and, and so I'll give you my examples. So maybe it'll help. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, for me, it's almost. The minute, you know, I remember when I was campaigning, uh, so I obviously ran as a Democrat and mm-hmm. would knock on the door and someone said, you know, what party are you? And uh, I always <laughs> said there's two, there's two uh, responses I'd get, either open arms or a door slammed sure. on my face. <laughs> yeah. So what bothered me or what frustrates me, I guess, is that some people have the, the notion of it's us versus them, Democrat sure. and Republican. There's no yeah. happy medium. So that's, yeah. to me, that's probably one of the most frustrating things I see in the political world because it's like you can disagree with someone and still um, mm. have an understanding or you know, still be civil about it. But is there something in the political or public um, that I, kind I, of frustrates I think you? I, I really think there's a great deal of respect for people despite party labels. And the people uh, generally can look beyond it. Now, the traditional view is not a correct view. In my lifetime was that the Republicans are for the people of more wealth Mm -hmm. more and uh, after you get to the Massachusetts State Senate in two minutes you know the Senator Bill Saltonstall a Republican from up and wherever is not representing the rich he's for everybody that he can possibly be representative of. And and you find that same way, Senator Locke of Wellesley, some of them were good adversaries of mine, but they were top-notch individuals in my experience. They had a different point of view, obviously, on many issues. But I, I, I don't think there's, I, I don't think any of them, in my experience, ever uh, saw themselves as um, oh, not representative of the rank and file, the folks who needed representation and deserved it. But again, there'll be lots of differences of opinion, as there should be. Sure, absolutely. Um, one thing I was uh, curious about as well, <coughs> and I I was only able to find one clip of it online, but it was uh, the St. Saint, uh, Patrick's Day breakfast. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about how it started, what exactly happened at the breakfast? Well, I always loved the breakfast, and uh, I'm a, I have to say this in hindsight, I'm a ham. And the breakfast was an opportunity to get up there and sing Irish songs. I, I, did I quote my mother? She said, when did you become so Irish? She herself was, her name was McCarthy before she was married. She's from Charlestown. She's Irish-American. In fact, her good mother, I remember her, was a thick brogue, and she was from County Cork and everything. But my mother, when did you become so Irish? I, I think it was just part of the the show and in my case i i i did it but your question again refresh me on your question so it, I, it just how it started and kind of uh, oh, that, what, that, what it was all about yeah basically. well i think part of it is just uh, the, the fun of it and and i have my uh, i have 
children with Italian names who are my grandchildren now. And, um, <laughs> and, and uh, Grandpa says I'm a minority group. <laughs> I said, please don't tell. Don't say that. <laughs> the, the little things that... But, you know, uh, I, I don't know. The, the ethnic stuff, it's, it, it can be very foolish. But I... I will say this much. I, this, maybe I'm wishful thinking on this, but I think it was always a, a very healthy uh, uh, view of it all as uh, light and humorous. I think of Senator Walter Bovarini, who was my majority leader. He was a very good guy from up in Lynn and graduate of Boston College. He was a football player there, great man. And uh, he he would he'd have a big chuckle over it, and he he was a friend of Senator Joe Walsh. I can't remember exactly what. Um, oh, I don't know. Joe Walsh, Senator Joe Walsh from Dorchester. He talked about. Oh, that's right. I recall Second World War. Joe was in the Second World War in Normandy or someplace in France. Fellows coming ashore, and they're invading an area. A rocket came and took his head off, and according to Joe Walsh, the fellow kept on walking. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Senator Bovarini said, "Joe, please don't say that." And he, the more Bovarini would tell Walsh not to say it, he walked. Believe me, Walter, that happened. I saw it with my own eyes. It can't be. <laughs> but uh, that's. Uh, I don't know what leads me into that, but I, I have to I cherish every a moment of the the uh, humorous uh, times. It was good. It's good. We and by the way, we must never lose it, right? Because we're the only ones who got screeches that can laugh. According to I'm just thinking of my old Jesuit teacher. Yeah, the uh, the the clip <coughs> I saw. There's one uh, one clip I saw online of the St. Patrick's Day uh, breakfast, and I believe it was um, Governor Dukakis was at the point where I think he was contemplating whether or not to run for president or whatnot, and even uh, Vice President Bush even called in uh, oh, that's right. to the breakfast as well. But it was uh, it's fascinating to, to oh, sure. that it's still online, you know what I mean? Yeah. So well, Dukakis is a very good man, very... Uh, not not rollicking sense of humor or anything, so he you could have good fun with him, and his wife Kitty, oh you, Michael, you are such a stiff. <laughs> <laughs> she could even say admonish him very, you know, not publicly, but and <laughs> and and she would be laughing at, uh, and Michael was you know serious about everything, very, a very good person and. A, Good governor, great governor, but um, yeah, I, I'm getting nostalgic about it. But the folks I served with, I I think of them very fondly as great people, and and some some of them um, would be on the opposite side. So wrong, <laughs> so <laughs> wrong, <laughs> but uh, very. Good people. I, I I feel much more optimistic about our system and about the people in it than I ever would have felt had I not served there. 
Understood. Is there, uh, can you remember uh, your time in office where um, someone on the opposing side, say there was a Republican um, uh, politician, but you were able to oftentimes kind of find common ground oh, yeah. with them? All, all the t- you could very frequently. Uh, I, I, I think of people, again, Senator David Locke of Wellesley. We were good friends. He, he was a strong advocate for his point of view and could be relentless in his uh, attacks. John Parker, the minority leader, a good man from Taunton, we, they, they, could be, they could be tough. Then we had people on my own side. Dennis McKenna was from uh, Charlestown, and uh, he could be quite volatile at times. He was actually born in the county Kerry. I used to joke about it. I said, you know, you shouldn't even be here because you were born in another country. (laughs) 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 But, you know, he, he, uh, Dennis had a wonderful uh, sense of humor, too. He was, you know, that's a common denominator. I'm referring to it so frequently. But they, uh, I I think it's an absolute essential for legislative life to be able to uh, find the very human um, humor, if yeah. you will, every day. It's, it's there every day. And, uh, and I, I, th- I think, by the way, you've become much more optimistic. I've, to- I've referred to Mary Newman, who had this good opinion, you know, are we worse, I used to say. I'm like, we, what do you think? A little better, she would say. I hope that that's true. Yeah, there was. Um, uh, I when I was doing my uh, undergrad, I went to uh, George Washington University in D.C. for a little bit, and I would uh, I helped this organization, this nonprofit organization was the um, Coalition for uh, for Public Safety. And oh so, yeah. So they dealt with a lot of uh, different politicians talking about criminal justice reform, sure. and to the point where they would always say, "They go, Paul." He goes, you'll see this. They, uh, Democrats and Republicans say the same thing, just differently. Yeah. And they disagree. But it's like they're saying the same idea, but it's just Very di- just saying it differently. So yeah. it, it, was, uh, it was just eye-opening for me when I first yeah. saw it. Um, but, folks, we are in studio with uh, former Senate President uh, William Bolger. Uh, we're discu- at this point, we're discussing Boston politics, Massachusetts politics. Uh, we talked about his career and, of course, uh, James Michael Curley's. Uh, so we're going to take a, a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, start to wrap uh, our conversation up. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back to the Paul Sargero Show. Again, we're down to our last half hour, and then um, we'll start to wrap things up. So we're in studio with uh, former Senate President uh, William Bolger. We discussed his career, life, and James Michael Curley, and then uh, Boston politics. Well, one thing I wanted to ask is that uh, so you also served as the president of University of Massachusetts. Was there uh, how was it different from the political world? Did you do you think your public office kind of world helped you serve as the president? I think it helped in uh, in the sense that I had as president of the Senate I had to work with everyone with all their various points of view, and then in the uh, the realm of uh, education. There are all sorts of different points of view, and it's the same problem. Sometimes that problem that I'm referring to, I'm not going to get into a description of it too much, but it can be harrowing. It can be um, it can be very 
very tough and uh, hurtful. So you do have to come to understand where the other person is coming from, be a little, if you will, empathetic, if that's the correct. Sure. And so uh, you, you learn that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one thing I was, I was always curious about. Because um, when I was in uh, doing my undergrad, I got to, uh, it was <laughs> at Anna Maria College where I graduated, uh, I started, I was able to start um, having a student rep on a board of trustees there. Oh, yeah. So I created that. I got to serve on there. And that was, um, I always encourage people to either serve on a committee or a board or something like that because you learn a lot, just the operations of it, sure. how decision, decisions are made. Um, but I can just imagine, you know, looking in Massachusetts, how long sometimes a bill takes to sure. to pass and how, um, and same thing in college. Sometimes when you're trying to get something implemented at the higher ed level, yeah. it's it's a process. And um, I feel like th- that's something people need to, to try and learn. You know, I'm on the traffic study commission here and I tell people, I go, you wouldn't believe the process to get a stop sign yeah. <laughs> on, on a street. I go, sure. it, it's a, it's a, it, it takes a while and it's a, the whole thing to it. Um, but continuing on with um, kind of uh, our discussion, I guess we can kind of go uh, uh, shifting a little bit. Uh, do you could you, if someone's uh, aspiring to be a politician, is there a piece of advice you you could give that person, or what would you want to tell that person? I, uh, well, I, I'm saying this to you. I can remember uh, my friend James Michael Curley. I'm calling him my friend. I didn't he didn't know me, but uh, telling us at Boston College develop the hide of a rhinoceros. That was his advice when somebody said, what should I do to get ready to run for political office? Develop the hide of a rhinoceros. And I would suggest that's good advice. You really have to be, just make up your mind that you're not going to be too touchy and you're going to, and by the way, sometimes the very best of people can be saying the toughest of things and if you can get by it, you come to know them and you realize that they don't fully intend the hurt that they may have even inflicted. So I think, I think that's a very good bit of it, uh, advice. And, and after that, I'd say uh, try to come to understand the issues and don't blurt out your opinions so that you can't retreat from it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, very often you come to know more about it. Also, things change. Someone puts an amendment on a bill, transforms it into something you like, where you were against it before. Thing, things like that. Yeah, I'd say you stay a little bit uh, relaxed and uh, that's and judgmental. You know, make good judgments. Yeah, that's good advice. It's interesting. Uh, when I talk to some of my friends, you know, they'll, I, f- I forget who we were talking about now. Um, it might have been Congressman Ron Paul. And they go, I like him because he's been so consistent throughout the life in terms sure. of where he stands on the issues. And I go, guys, you know, it's not a bad thing if you switch your opinion on something. I go, something could happen. You have a life sure. experience. That, so I go, it's okay to, to have a difference of opinion later on. Like, you yeah, know, 10, you learn 15. something more. Absolutely. So, but I always found it interesting that like, they kind of felt... Um, yeah. It was bad if you changed your opinion sure. or you flip-flopped on, a, on an issue or something. I think it's very often if you're changing your po- point of view on something, you, you have to <laughs> face the fact that some say, well, that's just because the uh, 
conditions are such that you're going to ingratiate yourself with more people by virtue of your difference. And when truthfully you say, no, I've, I've uh, come to a different conclusion about this very sure. same thing. But it's, uh, but I tell you this, there's a lot more uh, trust and understanding than we would know. Pe- people are, are generally, I'm, I hope I'm not being too, uh, oh, I don't know, optimistic or uh, rose-colored glasses or whatever. But I, I think people are pretty good, you know? And they, uh, and they could come along in the wrong mood and they may have had a tough uh, moment with a family member or something totally outside of your relationship. But, uh, but, but, but generally, they're, they're okay. And, and you, have to be, you have to be a bit trusting of them. Sometimes the people who can be really angry about things, they've misunderstood it. Or they've been aroused by, uh, excuse me, people who write a column or something. With, with a, we know what sells. Praise doesn't sell. But attacks, you know, drawing blood on somebody, that sells. Yeah. And uh, so there's a market for that. I'm saying the same thing. But which people will um, drift toward. Yeah, they get, they get influenced by it. I mean, um, being on social media, I get to see some of these discussions that will happen, right? So sure. Well, you see it all the time. And it's, there have been both local issues here or national issues that I'll see a discussion on. And I always tell my buddy, I go, sometimes I won't even engage because it's, it's not even worth it. Yeah. And sometimes but I go, I go, I swear, the least informed are the most vocal <laughs> on, uh, on social media. Very good, yeah. And it's That's true. Uh, it really is. And, uh, That's true. Some, and some of the people, and you, you know them, and they're friends, and you say, how can I possibly get him to see what I'm trying to? It, it, it's difficult. But, uh, but, you know, again, I'm probably in a happy, cheerful mood this day. I, I, I think you get through it. Yeah. You get through it. Most people, they're okay. They really are. And um, believe me, I I say it, and I, I think of some of the harsh um, voices from the uh, media. Some of them could be tough. Every day. I, I, I had some people who would just be so incessant. And... Uh, and I would feel bad when I saw them focusing on someone else. I was, I won't keep this going, but I was very fortunate because my district was tight enough and local enough. I mean, the state house is in my mm-hmm. district. I get to know so many people so that whatever is being said over somebody's radio station or something, these people at least have seen me enough and spoken so that they would have their own basis for judgment. It could, it could be harsh, too, but, you know, because after all, we're very imperfect. <laughs> yeah. the um, From your looking at uh, campaigning for elections, mm-hmm. when you look at your first um, campaign uh, when you were running, 
how does what are some of the differences campaigning then versus if someone was campaigning today that you think? Well, first of all, if you're running for the first time, you can be uh, pretty cheerful and get to see everybody. You have not disappointed them yet. Mm-hmm. When you're in office, you shall have voted in things that will, you know, they'll disagree with. They're not necessarily angry with you, but they. But uh, to your question, I, I don't know. You have to have some confidence in people. And going back to that, most of them uh, are well-intentioned. They can have a negative view of you. You may have done something that disappoints them or angers them. But um, they're generally, they're, they're, they're okay. And of it's, it's, it's not unlike the members of your own family mm-hmm. you you know them you know them from for their shortcomings you know them for their virtues and you kind of uh, make allowances for everything and you, you you learn to do that yeah the um w- when you look at massachusetts from when you were um younger versus now has tons of have tons changed or do you still see some of the the same old things in our state are you uh how do you well, just feel? Con- one constant, somebody said this, I think it might be Edmund Burke, but the one constant of all human history is human nature. By the way, it might not be he, maybe an ancient Greek, it may have been, who said the one constant of all human history is human nature. It doesn't change much. People will s- insist, oh, no, we're different, you know. The same, I think it doesn't change much. So, and, and I think a political person is a student of human nature. You have to come to grips with it. You're going to know that the very same guy that you spoke to four days ago, he's going to see you on the street and say, for crying out loud, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? Why did you, you know, say no when you should have been saying yes, all of that sort of thing. It's just, but it's part of the life of... Uh, the political person. Absolutely. Folks, we are in studio with um, former Senate President uh, William Bolger discussing, we discuss his career, life, James Michael Curley, and Massachusetts politics um, a little bit. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back for the, the home stretch, if you will, <laughs> and we'll start to wrap uh, things up here. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back to the Paul Sargero Show. We are down to the last 16 minutes. Uh, we will be wrapping it up at uh, 5 o'clock. Again, we are in studio with former Senate President and former uh, University of Massachusetts uh, President uh, William Bolger. Uh, we discussed his career, life in politics, James Michael Curley and, of course, uh, Massachusetts politics in general. Uh, one question is, uh, if you could sum up your public uh, career with one word, how would you, what word would you describe it with? Worthwhile. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm saying it's worthwhile. That would be the word. Because uh, the challenges, the duties, the uh, they really worthy of uh, any person who wants to make a difference. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that. With all of my, I'm saying this 
mindful of my own um, shortcomings. The same same as with every human being. We're all imperfect, you know, tainted by original <laughs> sin. But you know, it's it's it, we're not. Uh, but but I, uh, one one other thing I would say is, having been there, and having heard people who have a totally cynical view. Oh, they're all bad. They're all people who have that view are wrong. There are all sorts of people with the best of intentions. Sometimes they go astray. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're even bad. I, I think the last characterization is much uh, more infrequent than most people think. I don't think very many are bad. They're doing their very best, but again, with the limitations that all of us human beings have. Absolutely. Ultimately, if somebody was, say someone approached you and said, I'm interested in <coughs> running for politics or getting involved, yeah. would you ultimately want to encourage that individual? Would you be like, don't even bother, kid. Don't, don't bother. I, I would never tell somebody, <laughs> don't bother. I was told very frequently, as I've recited to you, that I should, you know, not to do it. It was people who meant well for me, you know. It's just tar- terrible. But um, I, I, I would say if you have an inclination, don't be afraid of it. It's really worthwhile. Don't expect, uh, you know, all praise. It's going to be tough. Uh, on the other hand, every now and then you discover a moment when you can do something that's really, really good. And uh, even if something, and this is going to be frequent, I think, <laughs> for which you won't receive much credit, but you'll know yourself. It's enough that you know it. It's it's it, what it, I think somebody told me once years ago that um, it's what you do when no one knows what you're doing that defines you. It's what you do then. And uh, in the public realm, there are all sorts of things you do. You swear that they're good things. You, but people don't know. But it's what you do at those times when people don't know that defines you. That's what that that matters most. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting when you mentioned credit. I read um, "All Politics Is Local" uh, by uh, Tip O'Neill. Sure. And I believe one of the chapters in there said. It's almost like giving tips, almost kind of like in the the political realm. Sure. And he said uh, something along the lines of, "If you want to get something done, sometimes you can't worry about taking credit for it." That's 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 valid. That is true. And as a matter of fact, I, I think if you're too eager to take credit, you kind of freeze other people out, and they have a right, if they're participating, to uh, receive and seek credit. For the good thing, and, and, and in fact, uh, obvious. I'm belaboring the obvious now, but you're going to be much more successful if you will allow other people to uh, receive credit for whatever it is that you think is a positive thing. Yeah, because I mean, like, if you think about it, ultimately, if you want something for your community and it takes having someone else take credit for it, then who cares? Yeah, who cares? If, if That's right. As long as it's going to happen in your community, I mean. Yeah. But you, 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 when you say who cares, you're correct. 
on the other hand, I have to say, it's just human nature to say, oh my gosh, they're making judgments about me. I've got to get some credit for something. Sure. And, and that's, it's a problem, do you know? But, but your point is valid that uh, if you can step away from that and not be a big egomaniacal <laughs> guy. Yeah, I think people who run for office, though, we, we must have some kind of super egos. <laughs> who, who do we think we are? Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking, you notice how I'm speaking in the first person, we, you know? Sure. Because I don't want to um, seem to be criticizing others for it. Sure. Um, one thing I, I always find interesting, because uh, obviously you are an individual who... Uh, appreciates reading and whatnot. Sure. What are some of, um, for maybe some of our listeners listening, what were some of your favorite books uh, growing up and that you would want to recommend for someone? I, I used to love to read p- political biographies. Uh, Behind the Ballots, I, did I mention that earlier? James Farley, You're the Boss, a uh, fellow named uh, Boss Ed Flynn from the Bronx. I loved... Uh, the Purple Shamrock, the biography of James Michael Curley. I liked Curley very much. And probably, uh, he's obviously an imperfect creature. He took an exam for someone as a young fellow and suffered for it. But, uh, and, and, and then later in the 30s, something I don't know exactly the nature of it, something vague, but yep. he, so he's an imperfect human being. But I think he had a lot of virtue and there's something about him that even his uh, his fallen nature makes him uh, appealing because I just think of us all as, uh, you know, not everything we'd like to be. And, uh, but, but I, I, you know, um, example is always more efficacious than precept. No matter what happens, you're looking for good example. And I... I think in the cases that I've just mentioned, you seek out the good examples and then try to uh, emulate them. Absolutely. Um, uh, another question I was curious about, uh, your book titled uh, While the Music Lasts, mm-hmm. uh, My Life in Politics, um, how, how did you come? How, how did you decide on a title? I was always curious. Um, well, I think at the very beginning, I, there was a little bit of a reference of some poetry or something and uh, I'm there, you know, while the music lasts. I can't recall exactly how, but uh, I, I took the title from that. Interesting. And I, you know, and, and, I, and the fact is, uh, there is a, a music to the political realm. It really is. It's a, oh, it can be very, very um, perilous, the whole atmosphere of it. But it's... Uh, it, it, it is great. You're alive, and you're seeking to do things. I think this is true of most people in it, seeking to do good things. Very often, they're frustrated in their attempt, and very often, they're even wrong. They think they, this is a good thing to do, and, uh, and it's probably not, do you know? I, I can think of some issues where uh, people now would be strident in favor of something, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to bring up a tough one, but if someone 
favors abortion. Yeah. To the mind of many, it's it's the killing of her. And it's a huge issue, you know? And then it's emotional. It's important. I don't want to even get into it. It's so heavy and laden with problems. But that's part of the life that you're getting into in the political world. You gonna have you're gonna be confronted with uh, questions you know even um, the whole business of the uh, capital punishment or something mm-hmm. it, c- it comes at you and you say gee you know how am I because we know we're we're uh, fallible we can make mistakes sure that doesn't allow for any mistakes but anyway that adds to the human element, though, the humanistic. It is. You know, it's interesting that I won't say um, the person's name, but there was a, an elected official that I was talking to, and they said, uh, you know, they go, you know, Paul, you know, I, I made a post about how I felt on an issue, and people were criticizing me. They, they said all these things. And I was like, that comes with the turf. Of course. There's no way you can get elected and not think someone yeah. isn't going to, especially nowadays with social media. I was like, oh, of course. You have to know that comes with the turf, with the uh, position. But um, at any rate, so um, again, so uh, thank you for coming in today. Um, I thank you for the chance to say hello to everybody. And you're going to be announcing that you're going to be running for. Uh, for <laughs> <laughs> my wife will put me out of the house. She's she was my wife was so patient over the years. She, she uh, I still think of somebody telling her right in front of me, Mary, you have earned your place in heaven. <laughs> so I'm standing right there. I said, what could she possibly mean by that? But she has, my wife has earned her place in heaven. She she didn't uh, like the idea of my being in the political realm, but she was great. Absolutely. So as um, we mentioned earlier, uh, off uh, air, uh, we always like to wrap up with um, a question that, that I always found interesting. Sure. And that is, if you could, if uh, President Bolger could talk to anyone from history and ask them one question, who would you want to talk oh to? Oh, my goodness. What would you want to ask them? Oh, I don't know. I, I, might, I, I might like to talk to Thomas Jefferson, and I would like to uh, ask him in this year, 2019. Now, Mr. President, you you see this country that you helped to really send on its way. You, what what do you think of it now? Did, did it work? Do you think it's, do you think we're doing okay? I would love to see what he would have to say about about it. I I know his good intention, and I wonder how he see it absolutely uh again thank you so much for coming in today it was uh, a pleasure having you i'm so glad you came in uh, thank you for your hospitality and uh all right folks we're that's gonna wrap it up for today uh we'll be back at it again next week uh at three to five and then um again we'll, we'll archive the show in about a week or so so if you didn't have a chance to listen to it now you'll be able to uh, see it online after one, once i share it so uh thank you again and uh, everyone enjoy your wonderful weekend